Hello and welcome to episode two of Battle of the Boutiques presented by DestroyTheBrain.com. I'm Andy Trevenbach. My name is Lena Morgan. And my name is Diggum. And today we are going to do our very first battle. If you listened to our last episode, you know us now. Uh, there's no excuse. Our first battle is going to be Indicator slash Powerhouse against Blue Underground. And the films that we have are Night of the Demon and Dead and Buried. I'm glad that one of us has the special edition. Yeah, I was just because it's not fucking me. On me either. <laughs> well, to even it out, I don't have the 4K release of Dead and Buried. Oh, you're a little bitch. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. <laughs> so it evens Those out. Will, right? Some of us don't have a 4K player, so yes, that's that's me. Sorry, sorry, guys. I'll get there eventually. You're a bad person. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we'll be covering uh, Night of the Demon. And uh, the good news is the limited edition that I do have of Night of the Demon, the only thing that's exclusive to it is a poster and an 80-page book, which I'll kind of get into uh, when we go over the uh, coverage of it. And then Dead and Buried, I know that you guys have extra things that is not on the Blu-ray, but whatever. We'll figure it out. So um, let's move on to... That good, good latest purchase. What we got? Yes, this is going to be a section where we talk about stuff that we got more recently that we like or dislike. I mean, it's it, you know. Oh yeah, you can pick. You can pick. I'm, I'm trying to because if it was if it was something that I disliked, I would have grabbed that um, scary of sixty whatever. So. That was, <laughs> boy, sorry the 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 first vs vs vsp I did yeah, not like. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. Since I talked bad about Vinegar Syndrome, yeah, we've got to counteract we really, it. We really—it's very important that we hop on their knob every week. Um, I have to talk about the 4K release of Dead Oh Heat. yeah, I mean, just a delight, a great transfer, um, a picture of Joe Piscopo holding panties on the back. <laughs> just not really an important scene to the film. Kind of surprising to see it there, but um, it's a great image. and I just. Look, for the most part, the reason to care is that uh, the movie's great. It's just one of those like WPIX Sunday movies or like late night movies, you know, up all night. I feel like I don't know if up all night actually did it, but I used to see it on Channel 11 in the New York area where I live all the fucking time. And it never looked this good. That is for fuck sure. It's delish. It's one of the last movies that Vincent Price ever did. Yeah. And... There's that one scene, you know the one, where that bitch melts. Oh, it's great. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> it looks so cool. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> I, I don't want to say that I came because that's disgusting, but I could have. <laughs> it could have happened. It's very good. Anyway, and yeah, I haven't had a chance to go through everything, but on the whole, just a solid release. Nice to have that movie in 4K for some fucking Agreed. reason. Yeah. It's funny. I was watching it, and then my my dad randomly came over, and then he just sat down and watched the movie with me. We just sat down and watched Dead Heat together. Uh, That's awesome. It's very fucking watchable. Yeah, That's the thing. Yeah. You know what kind of struck me? I hadn't I hadn't seen The Hidden until recently, and Dead oh, Heat was a rewatch. For very me, similar. And I was like, these are very similar movies. <laughs> like like it yes. was really kind of bizarre. No, I I love Dead Heat. I think it's a lot of fun. I know some people really don't like Joe Piscopo in that he's, movie. 
He's but great. It's actually one of the I only times I've ever liked him. I'll be him. honest. I yeah. turned my dad and I said, he's probably the least funny, funny man I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> like, he's like, 100%. Like, he's like not funny at all. But that's what kind of what makes it great. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think his style of humor, as exaggerated as it is, yeah. kind of also drives dead heat into just like more comedy. If that totally. makes sense. I mean, it could be a total special effects makeup show, which it is, but it's also funny yeah. and it's enjoyable. And Treat Williams is great. And I think Treat Williams as an actor um, proves that, yeah, I have Joe Piscopo on the other end. So, but I'm going to make this as enjoyable as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, the two genders. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, no, it's a great, it's a great, funny little film and yeah i mean the special effects are super good i think pair it with uh scanner cops one and two i don't know oh yeah get them fucking cop movies going (laughs) yeah triple feature there you go all right (laughs) who else has got something that's recent um so i wanted to i was gonna go vinegar syndrome uh too and i was like lena's probably gonna go vinegar syndrome so i'm gonna i'm gonna not fucking basic (laughs) but i'm gonna go with uh the seven release of don't go in the house nice which was a fun rewatch. Um, you know, it was, it, this is a movie I've seen before. Um, and so I watched the integral cut, which is kind of kind of a new thing that's on this disc, which is it's where they um, have the theatrical version and, but also cut in the scenes from the TV version of the film, which it's weird that this movie has a TV version. That's really just bizarre. Um but, you know, upon rewatch, I pretty much almost felt the exact same way about the movie. Like, like, like it's fine. It's fine to good. Um, and I have to say that Maniac is like one of my favorite movies of all time. And it just honestly feels like worse Maniac. <laughs> like, like, it just feels like Maniac, but not as good. Uh, but, you know, it's it's the it's somebody mentioned this in our discord that. It's amazing how great the fire effects in this movie look for being from the year it's from compared to now. Yeah. Like the 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 big kind of marquee scene where he burns the the first girl is like it's incredible the effects in it and and it's just such a fun um fun movie in a way <laughs> because the guy I think the guy's performance is so bizarre it is. that it's like it's funny. It's kind of off kilter. Like, it's funny how he he gets progressively worse at picking up these women to kill like he just gets more to, to where he's he's approaching women in stores and just going go home with me basically like like yelling in her face um something i did want to note on here too before uh there's a don't trailer reel on here right yeah which is all trailers with um don't it's like movies with don't in the title um which is a lot of fun and i actually made a list of all the movies that are on it just in <laughs> case you were curious which ones are on there okay there's uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. Don't Look in the Basement. Don't Open the Window, which has a, a, a more popular title of Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Had no clue that yep. that was the alternate title of that. Don't Answer the Phone. Don't Go in the House. Yeah, for some reason, they put the trailer for the same movie on there. I don't understand that. Uh, don't Go Near the Park. Don't open the door. Don't go in the woods alone. Right. Of course. A of course. classic. I, and and then, then the last one was don't open till Xmas. Thanks. That's it. Okay. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's gotta be more was, than that. It's, it was, it was 12 minutes long. Gotcha. So it was, it was just kind of, 
you know, but but it was it was a nice little little feature. Just speaking of houses, uh, Anne Severin, my pick is House on the Edge of the Park. Um, oh, House on the Edge of the Park is a three disc uh, set, which the third disc is the CD soundtrack. And as a huge fan of Riz Ortolani, it's great to get that soundtrack. Granted, I bought the vinyl from Death Waltz. I think it was either last year or the year before when they put it out. But I'm happy to have it on CD so I can digitize it and like listen it, uh, to it in the car or whatever. You know, if I ever go anywhere. If we ever get out of this pandemic, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but the the fact that the second disc has a feature-length documentary on Diodato is amazing. I, I really... If you were to ask me my favorite two Diodato films, it's obviously Cannibal Holocaust and this one. I think it's got such a great commentary of social class. Um, and it's just got really great music to it. Um, great performance by David Hess, who, look, I mean, quite honestly, he does kind of play the same character in a weird way. It, it's not the easiest watch. Um, I will level with you. Um, sometimes it's going to trigger some people, but it's not the most typical rape revenge film. Um, it really kind of talks more about social classes, and I just really dig it. It's also a video nasty, so that's kind of nice to have. Um, I, I really enjoy this one. I think Giovanni, uh, Giovanni Lombardo Ridici is a lot of fun in this, even though he acts very silly. But I think it's worth a watch, and if you're looking to pick up something from Severn, go for it. I kind of regret not picking it up and I'm probably will be picking it up from them in the future. Yeah. Whenever they open up shop and start shopping again. <laughs> Basically. Cause, cause everything's, everything's listed as out of stock, which <laughs> right hey, now, so. by the time you listen to this episode, they'll be open. That's right. Please that? don't go on to eBay and spend unnecessary dollars as people do constantly for some reason. Right. That's it, baby. All right. You want to get into this real shit? Yeah. Let's get into the big juicy stuff. Uh, Naya Demon or Dead and Buried, which one should we go with first? So let's then let's start with 1957's Night slash Curse of the Demon. Yes. So Naya Demon, this was released by Indicator, which is also known as it's Powerhouse. And then they have like the sub label called the Indicator. I still don't necessarily understand why it's different, but it is. Um, I picked this up whenever this came out back in 2018. So this is a 2018 release. This is a great set. You know, you get your, um, the regular release and then you have with the limited edition, you have this 80 page booklet, which, uh, we'll, we'll get into the packaging, I guess a little later. Let's talk about the film. Um, so this one is directed by, uh, Jacques Tunot. I, I hope I pronounced that right. I'm yeah, horrible I at French. Did. I believe you did. I think you did. But uh, if you're not familiar with his work, uh, he did a lot of work with Val Luton. So um, it's it's a black and white film, uh, very contrasty in, in spots. I, I really love a lot of the composition of this movie. And, you know, I, I think when you watch some of his stuff, like Cat People, um, the the framing 
and the composition and the lighting are always just spot on and amazing. What I also really like about this is that this film, uh, it has been released as Curse of the Demon uh, in the US. And the great thing about this release is they include like four different versions of this movie as well. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I also love that this is a movie from 1957 talking about witchcraft. And like, even though, you know, it, it's kind of, it, it does use witchcraft and being a witch or a sorcerer or whatever you want to call it um, as a negative. I mean, that's just the sign of the times. Yeah. Oh, well, if he dabbles in witchcraft, he must be, you know, evil. Um, and, you know, I mean, it kind of is. <laughs> There's truth in yeah. that. It's it's basically a guy who goes to investigate Carswell. That's his name, right? Yeah, Carswell, yeah. Yeah, Carswell. He's, he's the guy's like a debunker, like a professional debunker. Basically. And and yeah. what I love about it is when uh they go to his place and he's like performing a magic show in front of these kids <laughs> dressed up as a creepy fucking clown. <laughs> yeah, really creepy. Like clown. a hobo clown, you know. Um and like introduces the guy and this girl who is the daughter of someone who and like meets their end at the beginning of the film. Niece. What's that? He's she's his niece. Yes. Yeah. Oh, not the daughter. Damn. Not the daughter. She's his oh, niece. Fuck. Yeah. I screwed up. It's all over. Come on. <laughs> Jesus. But, did you watch the movie? <laughs> did you watch it? Um but w- I also love how in the airplane scene before all of this, that there's that little setup where the guy's just trying to get go to sleep and he's got a newspaper and keeps falling with his face on it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is like an egotistical grab. It's kind of a flex. Well, also here, here's a question. Now, granted, none of, none of us are from 1957 that I know of. That That's true. However, do any of us believe that there would be an article in a major publication about a well, he's like a psychologist or something? Yeah. And he's go and like it's like all this whole big article with his face on it and everything. And I thought he may he made this paper because <laughs> that shit ain't real. Like- he went to the he went to the 57 equivalent of Kinko's had that printed up on newspaper print. It's like, yeah, because it's because it's like big time psychologist comes to London or whatever it says on it. And he's just like sitting there, like hoping, hoping somebody notices and is like, oh, is that is that is that you on the paper? The the 50s were just such a boring time. They just didn't have a lot going on. (laughs) I love that you read it in a news timey like. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, I, I love some of the camaraderie behind it and like some of the banter that they have um throughout the film i think it's just interesting and then when carswell uh shows up and what i love about that scene that introductory scene between him and carswell uh on the carswell estate with his mother uh, (laughs) which at first i thought it was just going to be like that weird 50s thing like oh mother and i was like oh god this is the guy's wife and they call he calls her mother (laughs) oh god awful (laughs) 
No, it was actually his mother. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, it's that's not a '70s that fucking movie. creepy Mike <laughs> shit. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. But like, I I love that. Like, they were talking. Uh, they were. It was Carswell and our main character isolated off, and then like, dude, kind of summons up a windstorm out of nowhere. Yeah. And it's just it it kind of goes to prove that like oh shit this guy does actually have something going on and i don't know if we should be fucking with (laughs) but i mean it's it's just a really interesting kind of movie as it, it plays on um because holden who's our main character um he's you know trying to figure out is carswell legit is he not and then they're also trying to figure out like this demon. Um, what's interesting about it is people have described this demon and it's been recorded through drawings essentially throughout history and they all have very similarities. Uh, I mean, it's just interesting to kind of see this investigative process uh, because I feel like it's almost a commentary in the fifties of like, yeah, these people are crazy because they're talking about demons, but then they're like, well, there might be some truth to it because these people are explaining and describing the same type of creature with the same attributes. And that, that was just always kind of interesting to me. And then I love that. Like Carswell kind of just bats, <laughs> bats him around and like kind of plays him it's kind of like a cat and mouse movie but kind of not really yeah it's just i, I love the seance scene yeah. there's a really fucking cool seance scene that kind of <laughs> still has some potency to it i believe seance yes mr meek is the most remarkable medium i come to him with all my problems ah here he is now john she's trying to help you I said I'd talk to her about this nonsense. These things are all phony. Oh, please. You'll hurt Mr. Meek's feelings. He really is a most wonderful man. That's Crimson Eagle. He's Mr. Meek's guide. He's a Red Indian chief from an obscure part of your country, Professor. Whenever the dude started talking like a baby, oh that God, freaked me so out weird. for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck is happening? Mommy! Oh, mommy! Oh, mommy! Oh, somebody's poor departed child. I'm under whose? I can't find... I can't find Frederica. She's lost her dog. The answer is there. No. Oh, look. It's in the trees. It's coming. The demon! It's coming! No! That does it. Don't turn the light on. He's in a trance. Trance my eye. Maggie, I feel sick. You're not the only one. He's still alive, no thanks to you. But there's a lot of interesting scenes, and quite honestly, I think it still stands up. And you're talking about a movie that's almost 70 years old. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. But it's it's one of those movies that if you've never seen it, I think this release is a great introduction to it. And 
already like even though i've seen a really crappy version of it a long time ago this is definitely a discovery one of my favorite discoveries of the year so far so like i know we're only not that far deep into 2022 but (laughs) this is this is really good this is such a highlight i really enjoyed this movie yeah I became aware of this movie because um, I was doing a different podcast talking about the Sam Raimi movie, Drag Me to Hell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I and I found out in my research of that film is that this film, Night Slash Curse of the Demon, was perhaps a little bit of uh, an influence. Oh, no, you don't say. On, on, on Drag Me to Hell. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. So I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to talk about Drag Me to Hell, I should watch, you know, Night Slash Curse of the Demon and, yeah. and, and see what the vibe is. And the answer is it is totally 1950s Drag Me to Hell. Like it very much <laughs> is exactly that. Yeah. So if you like Drag Me to Hell and you like that 1950s like era of horror that's kind of moody, has that sort of like goofy like. You know, nobody's talking like this, but like there is, you know, but there is a general vibe like it's kind of there, you know, and that kind of hits two sweet spots for me. So I love this movie. I loved it when I watched it originally and I loved getting a chance to rewatch it again um, with the specific um, indicator transfer, which we'll talk about, I suppose, in a little bit. But I'm trying to think what really stands out to me the most about the film I think it's just that, like you said, Treef, it's it it really holds up. It is genuinely creepy in places. But what I like is that it's goofy, right? It does that balance. The best horror movies for me are ones that have these moments of levity to sort of break shit up and make you go. <laughs> and then you're right back into that fucking scary, fucked up shit. The seance yeah. scene is a really great example just because it starts with these women singing the song and like, it's very odd and like kind of funny, <laughs> mm-hmm. but then you are suddenly in the seance and like, that shit fucked up. Like, yeah, it's a great blending of those two things. And I think, um, Neil McGinnis who plays Julian Carswell is just a King. He is so good in this fucking movie. This is, a career defining role. He's so unsettling because he's very nice, right? Like the, the plot of the film is there's a guy who gets killed. He was going to debunk, uh, uh, Carswell. And what happens is then this American comes in and he was supposed to be part of the debunkitude. And now he's shown up and is left holding the bed because this man has died mysteriously. Um, not so mysteriously to the audience because we've seen it. Yeah. But then all of a sudden it has to be this tete-a-tete, this back and forth between now the debunker who is played by Dana Andrews and uh, Neil McGinnis's uh, Julian Carswell. And it really works. These two in particular, this back and forth between the two of them, between the, 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 the Dana Scully and the, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, and the Fox Mulder, it's, it's funny. It's sort of like, what if those two were enemies instead of two people working together? Like what if they were on the opposite ends of the spectrum and right. it just plays out so nicely. They, and it's mostly because McGinnis is nice. He keeps doing the shit where he is nice. 
where he goes, oh, I have that book you're looking for. It's in my house. You should come fucking chill at my pad. Like, like, well, let's do an episode of MTV Cribs right now. Like, this this shit is like my shit's tight. Wait until you see my library, bitch. And and it really is like he stresses the clown. I actually don't think that he's that creepy looking. Like, he's got like this very like I'm not creeped out by that clown shit at all. He seems like okay. very chill. Hanging out with kids. The kids seem safe. His mom's got fucking ice cream and shit. This is a nice situation. This shit is pristine. Homemade ice cream. Homemade. He's got puppies. He's got puppies up the yin yang, that guy. Yeah, too. He's, he's a happy go lucky guy. And then all of a sudden, the fucking storm like pitches up. And you're like, oh, shit, this man's the devil. <laughs> and I love that. And I love the conceit that he's, you know, the concept basically is that, you know, he puts a curse on you, he gives you a, a little slip of paper with runes on it and you don't know that you've got it and then from that point it's like a ring situation you got like seven days or whatever the fuck and then you done and so it goes from ha 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 it's a lot of bullshit to oh shit no this is for real for real and a slow descent into madness though as a result for um john holden who was our protagonist and i love that i think that's great and uh i like peggy cummins too that's um the the niece character uh, Joanna Har- Harrington. Like, yeah. I'm trying. I'm honestly racking myself, going, "Are there any bad performances in this?" And I can't really no. think of one. It's very investigative, right? Like that's it. It's kind of the detective story, and that to me is very 1950s. That it's about investigating a mystery. Is this shit legit or not? The audience, and I'm sure we'll talk to the about this in due course, knows the answer, but. The cast doesn't know. The characters have no idea if this shit is on a level or what. And it's interesting as a dynamic to say, well, the audience knows and the and the characters don't. Like, that's a really interesting way to sort of present a film. Not necessarily how it was intended, but that is, which I think is sort of the big thing to talk about. But yeah, I mean, I love this movie. I think this movie is outstanding. This is a true... Like I'd give this a solid eight point five nine out of ten. I loved it. I would. This is like a movie I'd show to anybody. Yeah, I think this is. I mean, Digum, I know you still need to talk about the movie, <laughs> but I think it's definitely <laughs> one of those um, movies where it's like, I would love to watch this on a Saturday or Sunday morning. Yeah, just because I I love watching black and white movies early, um, but quite honestly, like I was just kind of blown back by a lot of the technical look of it i really enjoyed this you know like like obviously watching it the drag me to hell thing came immediately to mind without even really making that connection because drag me to hell is my favorite sam raimi movie um they even both end in a train station which is weird um but yeah for me what really stood out in this was um the writing and the performances which I think were probably for me the best aspects of the movie. There's a, there are scenes in particular that where it really was just two actors just acting their asses off or, you know, you know just, 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 just the performances that are butting up against one another. The, the, the first one that stood out to me was when um, Joanna comes to John's hotel room and is basically laying out this information. They're just basically having this back and forth. This is just, you know, just where she's laying out the stuff. And John's like, oh, that's a bunch of bull hokey or whatever, he, you know, he says. Um, Hogwash. I, I'm I, from the past. Yeah, yeah. I, I just thought I'll, I'll, like both of their performances were killer. They're both likable in their own way. Like, like, like just really just like fantastic writing, fantastic performances. The next one that stood out to me was um, 
when John goes to visit the household of the oh, he's like yeah. a previously convicted killer, I guess. But the insinuation and and the reveal well, he survived. Is that, he's right, like a right. survivor, basically. Yeah, basically. And he, he done going crazy. Yeah, basically, he he got the ruins, handed it to his brother, and then he got convicted of the murder. Basically, is is the story, and then he's he's in, in like a mental institution, I believe. Yep. But the performance of when he shows up at the house of this family is so it's so creepy, that and the performances are so pitch perfect, and the vibe is so weird that it just is maybe arguably the most unsettling scene in the movie because particularly the performance of the the like matriarch mom of the family is like really unsettling in a weird way what do you want with us he ran to hobart your son he was my son you know he hasn't been proven to be the killer mrs hobart speak your business i'm not interested in his guilt or want of guilt very well. I had a group of scientists who would like to examine him and try and find out what it was that drove him out of his mind. We know what it were. Let him be. Let him die. Do you know for a fact he was the murderer? He made the killing happen. It were he that were chosen, and he passed it to a brother. The time will come, and them that have no true beliefs shall be accursed. What do you want to do with him? The authorities say that I'll have to have the written permission of the next of kin before he can be released to us. So I was hoping you would sign this release paper, Mrs. Hobart. And what will this examination do? We hope that under hypnosis, well, that's a special technique we have, that we'll be able to find out what he did and saw at the time of the killing. You say it was his brother who died. I didn't realize it was one of the family. A brother of the faith, a true believer. Not like him. I'll sign it as you ask. Why do you do this for him? What be it to us, what they want? Let them all know what he saw. I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but that scene was actually completely cut from the American version of the movie, which is weird. Um, because it's one of the best in the thing in, in the whole thing and then the the last scene that really like kind of blew me away was when they hypnotized that same guy and he's kind of like revealing all this information and his performance is is like phenomenal just this like monotone creepy kind of and he's like saying all these kind of cool you know black magic-y kind of things like 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 those are really the standout moments for me and it really just to me highlights that these actors are just like top tier like like the performances and the writing in this are just really what did it for me like it is a visually beautiful movie and I'm, and we'll talk about the scan and all that which is gorgeous but for me the performances really carried this movie like we touched a little bit on the plane scene and the chemistry that is established in that scene and the comedic timing of a lot of that scene with the way that uh, Dana Andrews is adjusting his like way of trying to sleep is like so pitch perfect. And the timing on it is so comedically perfect that it's like I was like, I'm going to love this movie immediately just for just from that one scene. That's very it's funny because you watch that and it could be like a Doris Day movie, you know? Yeah, basically. Like it's, yeah, it's got this very, yeah, like very 40s, 50s like comedy movie rather than a horror movie which again i love i love that juxtaposition 
yeah. But yeah, I agree. I, I think it's so, I think they cut that sequence. Um, maybe you already know. I haven't watched literally everything. Do you know the reason why they cut that scene? The one with the family? They just were cutting things, and we can get more of this later too, that were like really kind of too heavy into black magic. Interesting. I would have thought it was just like that scene was too British. <laughs> they were like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get in because because I watched the the feature where they talk about the different cuts and, and why they exist. Um, but but yeah, it's it's just was like the American <coughs> version. They wanted to get rid of a lot of the, the black magic stuff. Um, even in the British version, there's one line they cut. That's really the black magic, which is bizarre. So I think there's one thing we should talk about and then come back to maybe again later, which is the demon. Yes, the demon's great. <laughs> we can talk about it again later in the context of what was happening behind the scenes with regards <laughs> To the demon, but are you pro demon or anti demon? I'm pro. I'm, I'm pro. pro demon for sure. <laughs> Despite having the horns on my head, I am tentatively pro, but perhaps not as pro as the film is. Which is okay. interesting because, like, you, you you might be more in line with the director. Because, <laughs> but yeah. we'll get to yeah, that. We'll That's get to the it. other thing. So I do think it's important to say that the demon itself, design-wise, phenomenal, fucking yeah, dope yeah. as hell, really good. I was so impressed mm-hmm. that in 1957 they were able to put together a demon that looked as good as that looked to me. Like it's a little silly some of the gestures and shit, but honestly, no, it's fucking quality. Like really good, and I can't imagine they gave them a lot of money. And I think they did a lot with a little. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So okay. Here we go. Fucking hell. Dead and buried time. <laughs> so now we jump into our other film and we talk about uh, the plot of Dead and Buried. Uh, this is a 1981 horror film directed by Gary Sherman, who you might know as the director of Poltergeist 3. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking up his other stuff and I was like, or, oh, Poltergeist 3. Or huh? Deathline, which was another movie we were thinking about covering. Another it was movie on the maybe list. Um but uh, Gary Sherman is a director from Chicago, um, and he. Ooh, wait! Which one? Hold on, wait! Which one do you have, Dig? I have. I can't I have tell. The, it's the. Oh um, man! It's the eye poke one. Because <laughs> I love oh, nice. eye trauma. I have the guy getting set on. I get the photographer getting set on I'm fire. I'm really into eye trauma, so. <laughs> nice hell yeah! What's funny <laughs> is quality. I, I probably would have got the the theatrical art, so we would have had the. Perfect <laughs> we would have had all three. <laughs> Some bitch. Um. But yeah, Dead and Buried is this film from 1981. It's written by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Chuzet. Uh, Dan O'Bannon, of, if you're not familiar, he's from St. Louis. So, um, oh, of course he is. That's why he put that St. Louis line in the movie. <laughs> yes, exactly. That the same thing for Return of the Living Dead. But um, Dan and Ron uh, wrote this, and this was shortly after Alien. Um, and in fact, some of the advertising of dead and buried, uh, even rips off of it and says the creators of alien bring yeah. a new terror. It literally says it on our comic cover, which, yeah, which is kind of misleading in a weird way. Um, I think in respect to the movie, because you think you're getting another extraterrestrial film and it's, it's really not. Um, but this is basically a film. It's another investigative film um but it's got a you know i i do love this film but i will fully admit 
it is slow. Very slow. You don't say. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, like, I, I think this, you know, if it doesn't put people to sleep and you're willing to, you know, if you're highly caffeinated, maybe pair this up with, uh, Messiah evil. Very tone wise, very similar. Um, but I, I do, I do really like this movie. If somebody wanted to take lead with dead and buried, dig did not like this movie. No, I didn't, but (laughs) not at all. Uh, (laughs) so, all right. So the pitch is, um, there's strange murderers afoot happening in Potter's Bluff. It's like little quiet town that's, you know, like supposed to be near some kind of giant body of water. One presumes in this case, a great lake rather than an ocean, but could be anything. Um, they, 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 they kind of try to keep it like unknown, but the gist is that there's a, a, a chief of police. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And what he starts to discover is that the, people that are getting killed suddenly reappear like as people in the town, like pumping gas, hanging out, just having a gas, you know, just having a good time. Pumping uh, gas and, and having a gas. <laughs> yeah. Do it. But yeah. The two genders. Uh, once again, <laughs> and he's got to figure out what the fuck is going on and why. And it has something to do with the, um, the coroner basically. Yeah. Uh, it's, I would describe it as less than the sum of its parts. I like this movie a lot. I think that not every part of it plays well together. I feel like the ending has got a real, like I watched an episode of the twilight zone that ran way too long kind of thing going on. But you know, it's, the thing about it is that it tries to do so when we talked about Night of the Demon, it has there's this comedy element and then there's this actual like genuine scary element. I think that there's a drama happening in Dead and Buried and a horror movie happening. And I find that they clash. And the biggest way that I notice that they clash is in the score. I like the score a lot, but that main theme, that very lilting, like plaintive piano really feels at odds with the other half of the movie, which is the death scenes, which are fucking mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're pretty mean. Like they are like these guys were obsessed with practical effects and they wanted to create death scenes that genuinely felt like people were just being set on fire for just brutally murdered, just brutalized in general. And it really works. It is a truly mean, mean movie. When people die, they die nasty. Yeah. And it just, it's so weird because it'll do that. And then it's back to like, do, 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 do. <laughs> you're like, what the fuck? What is that? It just, the two things don't quite blend together. I love the death scenes. Mm-hmm. Great. And I like the drama. The two of them together are kind of weird. Yeah. It's kind of like a <laughs> weird made for TV kind of melodrama mixed in with like a shit ton of atmosphere as thick as fog essentially. And then you have these really brutal scenes. And like you said, it does have a very twilight zone ending, but I think that's also a a highlight of the movie because once you get to that point, you're just like, Oh fuck. Okay. Honestly, that's one of the reasons I rated it as high as I did. Right. Was because the ending, I think, I think saves a lot of the movie or at least, elevates i agree 
I agree. Uh, because, yeah, for, for the most part, it, I think a majority of the movie, if this is a first time watch for some people, it, it's going to be a wishy-washy like peaks and valleys. The peaks are going to be high. The valleys are going to be real fucking low. But <laughs> but when when you look at the film at retrospect, it's like, you know, the the biggest point you could walk away with is like, well, that was interesting. That that's a little different than anything of that time. It it has exploitative elements like the death scenes, but for the most part, it's playing it pretty straight laced. And yeah, I, I think it's a, a very atmospheric film that it, it might not be a highlight of 81 because you have some really great films that are coming out around that time. But I think it's an interesting look for uh, people that may have exhausted some of the genre. I think there's something interesting and unique in this film. I think there's a great cast. I feel like that's a big part of it. Yes. Um, I really, I so I really like um, James Ferrentino, who plays the sheriff, uh, Dangles, and uh, I am a huge fan of his. And I mean, I I love him and um, another uh, 4K from Blue Underground for Final uh, Countdown. Final Countdown. Yeah. <laughs> great, great. Um, Melody Anderson plays his wife, Janet. Um, I know her from Flash Gordon, which also got a 4K from Arrow pretty recently. And Amazing like, 4K. there's lots, there's a lot. And then there's like really some big names. Like Robert Englund is in this. This is like a pre Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. Robert Englund. And he's like barely there. Like he's in the background. He doesn't really have a lot going on, but every scene he shows up in because he's Robert fucking Englund, like you really stand up and pay attention. And it's not just that he's Freddy Krueger. It's that he's just a really great actor. And he's very striking looking physically. Yes. I think some people forget. When you don't, because you're so used to seeing him in the Freddy makeup that even outside of it, like he's a good looking guy, but like there's something odd about him. Like he looks weird in a way that is very like attractive, like you are magnetized to him. And I think um, before I get to the the really big name, I kind of want to call out uh, Lisa Blunt, who is the the girl on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who plays a nurse later, who is yeah. sort of like the really like the big murderer. And I was like, man. If I could just pluck her out of time, what a great, like, she could have played like a great <laughs> Harley Quinn. Like, she has yeah, big she has Harley Quinn energy, yeah, yeah, except sure. like much meaner, right. like super mean Harley Quinn, which I love. Uh, and I feel like I wish that, you know, she had had a, a bigger career. I feel like she could have been something really big. And I don't think that ever quite happened. But the biggest, the biggest big, of course, has got to be Jack Albertson. This is also the very end of his life, the very end of his career. It's one of the last yeah. movies. Um, that he's in that, that ever came out. Um, most people would know him as being the the grandpa from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And here he is playing... Um, A weird pervert. <laughs> well, yes. So he's, he's, playing, he's playing the coroner, uh, William G. Dobbs, and he is absolutely charming and, like, absolutely terrifying. Like, if I had to put my hand on heart and say... Who do I think gives the creepier performance, him in this or uh, Neil McGinnis as Julian Carswell and Night of the Demon? It would be really tough yeah. for me. Really tough. I think it's I might end up giving it to Jack Albertson just because you don't expect it from him at all because he's such a nice guy. 
he's a fucking grandpa. You know, I mean, like he's he's like this sweet old man, which and he is just fucking disturbed in this. Oh, Daniel, 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 you're a great disappointment to me. A whole week, and you were still unable to establish that poor man's true identity. What's it to you, Dobbs? What's it to me? A sealed casket. That's what you have me burying there, a sealed casket. Now, if you had been able to find that poor boy's family, they might have asked me to perform some of my magic. You know, Dobbs, sometimes you make me sick. Sick? You bring me a body that smells like burnt steak. You force me to keep it till it begins to rot, and then you have the nerve to tell me that I make you sick. Two murders, Dobbs. Both strangers. Two murders in a town no bigger than a postage stamp. Now you leave me the hell alone. You know what's interesting is Willy Wonka came out in like 10 years prior. And before that, I think he only had three other roles, like three other movies he had roles in. And then I, I want to say there was like a big gap, like an eight to nine year gap. And then he did Dead and Buried. And I think his final role, this was his final acting role as far as live action. And then he's the voice of Amos in Fox and the Hound. <laughs> weird. Yeah. Very it weird. all came out in 1981. So. Yeah. But yeah. Um yeah, I, I, I like this movie. Um, I don't know how it looks on 4K. That's We'll get into that. Um, we'll get we'll, into we'll, it. We'll come back to it. We'll come back yeah. to it. Um, all right. So do we feel like, I think, is there anything else we want to say about the movies? Or do we want to well, move on? Well, I just have to say that I thought it was a boring mess of a movie. That it's disconnected scenes with a really uninteresting mystery in the middle. Um, I just was like, really, it is a drama and it's a horror movie and I feel compelled by neither aspect of it. Mm. Like I was really not interested in either aspect of it because it just is, I don't know. I just was not vibing with this at all. And it's so interesting. You said Messiah of evil. Cause I love Messiah of evil. Okay. I think Messiah, I think the atmosphere in Messiah of evil is so thick, you know, you can cut through it with a knife, but I just think this is just got very little going on for it besides the few kill scenes of which there are few that are that great. Um, I like I think honestly, I, 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 I was like, cause, cause I had just watched don't go in the house and the scene where the guy gets set on fire. I was like, this is so much worse than don't go in the house. <laughs> like, like, <I> was like, <laughs> like, like, like it just was not, I just, there was nothing for me. in this okay. besides, a couple of the kill scenes and I said the ending really did it. It elevates the movie for me a lot. Cause it's kind of a fun twilight zone. Like that's my first thought was like, Oh, that's kind of a fun end of a twilight zone kind of thing. Yeah. But outside of that, it really is just a slog for me. I, I like the deaths throughout. Honestly, I like the, the, the actual death scene for the guy that gets set on fire and the hospital where she comes in and stabs him with a needle. I love yeah. that. I love, so they have, there's not a death scene, but there is a scene where Dobbs is gussying up a corpse and the, the dummy transition, like as they do, like put it like the muscle tissue, the skin back on the makeup and then transitioning from that to the actual actress is just 
really, really good practical work. Yeah. Like it just, it works super great for me. Like it's one of my favorite moments of the whole film um, other than the ending. And I also like that, uh, you know, they come after a whole family, including yeah, like a child. Yeah. That's mean as hell. That's, that's probably the creepiest scene in the movie is that scene with that family. And then they've got the thing with the hand. There's a hand <laughs> that gets chopped off and then is like attached to the front of the car. Yeah, which which you can barely see in the 4K scan. <laughs> Wait, we're like right there. We're right there. And then there was somebody inside. There was somebody inside the, the hood of the car, yeah. like underneath. And that's anyway. And right. I mean, the practical effects, so, they were done by Stan Winston. So you do have a positive there. Yeah. I, yeah. I that's, mean, yeah. That's a huge positive yeah. for sure. Cool. All right. Okay. Fuck it. Let's do the transfers. Let's. It's transfer time. <laughs> this is where we talk about all the rest of the goodness. This is, this this is, is the, the non-movie stuff. <laughs> yes, this is what separates this podcast from all other ones. We're going to be talking about transfer, packaging, extras, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, I assume, once again, we'll we'll have some ha-ha levity. So for me, obviously, the, I'm the only one without the 4K. Uh, the Blu-ray, it looks fine. It's nothing spectacular. Here's what I will say, though. I did see the 4K uh, restoration of this when we showed it at Late Night Grindhouse, and it looked it looked okay. It's not a pretty movie. That's the thing. is there, There's not tons of production value on this movie. Like You don't have a lot of the technical prowess that you do with Night of the Demon even though like you're talking about a color film and a black and white film, there's still like Gary Sherman is definitely a working man's director. He doesn't really give a shit about the lightning lighting. He's more focused on actors focused on telling a story. Um, by the way, I'm still kind of mad at myself that I forgot to say that this man directed vice squad. Oh, yeah, I was like, I was like, that is kind of the marquee yeah, that, of his career, in my yeah. opinion, is Vice Squad for sure. I just said, I mean, Wingshauser, come I on. I said Poltergeist 3 because people know Poltergeist 3. Do people like Poltergeist 3? <laughs> no. But, no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the film looks, it's supposed to look a little drab. So I, it doesn't surprise me that this isn't going to look amazing in 4K. But I would think that it probably looks better than the blue. This is where you guys are going to have to tell me. <laughs> well, for me, honestly, there are large sections of the movie where I am just absolutely squinting to understand what happens. Like, like the, the, the big part of the movie is there's there's a section kind of in the middle where the sheriff character is. He's going around the town at night and it's it, it, it includes the part where the, there's the arm on the on the. Um, the, the grill of his car. Right. Um, it is so dark. And the scan is so bad that I just literally was like, I cannot, I just don't know what's happening right now. So I'm just going to accept, I'm just going to read the subtitles and accept that this is my reality for the next 10 minutes wow. or whatever. Like it, it was really, really dark. And I just basically could not see anything. You know, I, so here's a, here's a thing. I don't know if that's a scan issue and I'll tell you why. So I think it's elements for sure. So here's no, sorry. So here's the deal. So um, it was an interpositive. So this is a, a 4k 16 bit uh, transfer of a 35 millimeter interpositive um, for the real fucking nerds in the room. Interpositive is a real fuck you. Nobody likes an interpositive. <laughs> yeah. Like it, if there's, 
like a, a a cinematographer or a DP that came in and like did the work to make sure that it's all color corrected just right, then you can forgive it. But if you don't see that shit, you're like, no, no, fuck you, bitch. Um, but I will say, I think what happened there is they were trying to be consistent. And when they shot the scene inside of the haunted house with the family and the kid, because they were filming with the kid, they had to shoot day for night. So what happened was they put this giant, like they built this structure, like this big black tent structure. And I think that it ended up being so actual fucking pitch dark in that. And this other scene happens. that's supposed to be set in the same night. It's immediately after that. I wonder if they tried to keep that consistency. And so it all wound up being a little bit darker than it should have been. I think it's, I think it's the way that it's shot. I actually don't think it's the elements in a lot of cases. Really? Okay. I agree. That's my gut. I like for I like this as a transfer on the most part, but yeah, I mean, I I think that Trip, I think you nailed it. I just think that it's about the way that it was shot and the way that it was directed. There's just only so much that a 4K transfer is going to do for this thing. I'd say in a way too, it's like Blue Underground is held to a high standard with their scans because they are really considered kind of the top quality. Like the the work that Lustig and Co. do on this stuff is like really top notch. Like if you watch almost any other scan they do, it's like this is insane. Like like if you watch the Maniac scan, if you watch the House by the Cemetery scan, if you watch yeah, like all ma- their the, stuff, it's yeah. it's phenomenal. Right. Every um, I I actually would say that of everything of theirs that I've watched as a 4k scan i can't like this is noticeably not as good yes literally 100%. everything yeah. else maniac zombie house by the cemetery um maniac cop two and three fucking final countdown again like absolutely incredible legendary scan one of the best scans i've ever seen in my life i don't think yeah i don't uh, i i agree like even though i don't have the 4k i i think it's the way it's shot and this is only the second feature shot by the cinematographer Stephen Poster, who his previous film was Blood Beach. If if you watch any of the movies he's actually shot, like Strange Brew, he he did that. He did the New Kids with uh, <laughs> with James Spader. Uh, he also did the Richard Kelly films, all of them. Great. Yeah, that's Donnie only like Darko three. and Southland Tales. Well, and the box. Um, yeah. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> I, I said all of them. Sucks. Jesus. Uh, he also did Rocky Five. You know, but if you look at these movies, there's not a lot of dynamic colors playing with each other. There's not a lot of shadows. Uh, they just list Donnie Darko on the back oh, of the really? box, by the way, for his thing. Yeah. But I mean, even when you look at Donnie Darko, it, it's a relatively mute colored film. Hundred percent. You know. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's just his aesthetic. Um, sadly, I think where uh, Dead and Buried kind of drops in quality as far as like how it's photographed is those day for night shots because they're so clearly yeah, day for, for sure. night shots. You can yeah. do it really well, or you could do it really poorly, like Cruel Jaws. It just happens, mm-hmm. and, and I mean that's that's the way it goes. I think you mean great, like Cruel uh, Jaws. Sure, great, great <laughs> <laughs> quote. But um, yeah, I. I it's it's a shame that this I don't think this film really deserves a 4K release 
because it doesn't, <laughs> it just, it's not going to highlight a lot of things. The only thing that I was thinking that maybe 4K would do is maybe punch up some of the colors. But in actuality, I think Blue Underground probably nailed the transfer and was like, yeah, this is the way it looks. It doesn't, it's not a colorful movie. It's supposed to be pretty dreary and drab. So, uh, oh, well. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, on the other side of things, so um, Night of the Demon, the uh, 1751 presentation is a 2K BFI restoration, and the 1661 is just a high def remaster. Right. I, I'll tell you one thing. Um, I wish someone would do a 4K of Night of the Demon. Holy, yeah. Holy fuck. <laughs> um, but I will say, I think the transfer, the 2K in particular, is good. It, I think it really does the job. I think it, it like it really highlights just the, you know, the a great black and white movie when it's shot right. The kind of depth of the grays, right, are just so incredible. Literally the only, other than like, so I have a 75 inch TV and I feel like I could kind of tell what something is a 2K scan versus a 4K scan on a screen that size. So I can feel that. And the only other thing that's kind of a personal criticism of this film is that it's, you know, it's the 21st century. I understand the purity of film. I don't need to see the strings. Oh yeah. <laughs> Y'all can edit that shit out. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Okay, Sam Raimi. <laughs> what the fuck ever, bro? Like you can you can George Lucas me up and I don't care. Honestly, when you can when you're seeing like it does, it just it takes you out so entirely when you're seeing like this guy chasing after a bit of paper and the and you can just oh, see the, love that, the, the fishing line. I don't like it just it's such a tense scene, and every time I see it, I just laugh so hard. So it almost looks a little too good. So you need a revisionist, <laughs> you know, uh, version of Naya Demon where we. I do that think out. that if if you gave me the option, like I think, look, this is a this is a release to indicators slash powerhouses credit that has so many cuts. It does, yeah. Give me one more cut where you just take that shit right out, <laughs> where you just like very quickly, like why the fuck not, like. What do you get? You, you keep the purists happy, and then the people that are not idiots will get the version that's better. Okay. Wow. Bam. Got them. I usually wow. am not like this. This is a very <laughs> look, I, I'm just not, a, I, I don't believe in absolutes. I think that there are times when you look at something and go, we could just take this little thing out and make it better. It's funny. And there are other times where it's better to leave the mess. It's funny yeah. that you say that because, like, maybe I'm more forgiving because I know that this was shot in the fifties and like they're trying to do like, I don't want to say big budget things, but they're trying to like, Hey, let's have a special effect shot of, you know, plane. And obviously like that technique wasn't really perfected. So they didn't think of, you know, Oh, these people are going to see the string. As long as you're telling the story, sometimes you miss a lot of these things. Granted in this movie, yes, they are apparent, but they don't necessarily draw me out of the story. I think the biggest one is probably that shot of the plane before we're introduced to our main characters, just because it's right out of the gate. And it's just like, Oh, okay, well there's the string. <laughs> but again, it's like, Oh, well this is, you know, a movie that's almost 70 years old. They didn't have a lot of these shots 
or it would be a static image or something like that. Or maybe even stock footage from like, you know, a war shot. You know, that, that that's probably the, <laughs> I'm thankful they didn't do that. They did a very stylized look at the side shot of a plane. Granted, I'm going to see how it worked and how they did it, but whatever. I, I think it's fine. Um, That stuff doesn't usually take me out. But yeah, if I see that stuff in like a movie from the 70s, like 20 years later, then I'm like, oh, come on, guys. I guess it's just that like if it's 1950s and it's hokey 1950s, I'm like, well, who cares? Right. Like, but this movie, I have to say when I when we agree that it holds up, it's that there's something that even though you can tell that it's from this one particular decade, it does feel kind of oddly timeless. And so I find myself as a result of that being slightly less forgiving of the stuff that really reminds me. Gosh, this is the 1950s. We put a thing on a string. Like, that's it. That's that's the most I can say. I Again, I feel like I can see maybe a little artifacting here and there on a 75-inch screen off a 2K scan. But I feel like I'm really picking nits. On the whole, it looks very good. I really the only critique that I have, which is nothing to do with anything, is just that I wish that these movies could reverse roles. I wish Night of the Demon had a 4K scan, and yep. I don't think that Dead and Buried really needs one. Agreed. I I I felt like this scan really blew me away. I was just taken with how gorgeous the movie looks. You know, like like black and white scan in this resolution, like even 2K is like I think it's really gorgeous. Is especially in a movie that's shot as well as this. Um. It's really miraculous that I'm watching a UHD and a Blu-ray, and I'm like, the Blu-ray looks way better, like than than the 4K does, like, because just you know, it's just with the quality of the cinematography and just how much care was taken into this scan. It just it's it's night and day for me as far as these two releases, which one's better? And I think it's super easy to take a black and white film and kind of boost up the contrast too much. And that's not done here. All the, I know it's going to sound silly because it's a black and white movie, but all the color palette, like the black, grays, there's nuance to it. Yeah, there's nuance to it. It's not just you know. It's all properly represented here, and I think it looks. I think it looks amazing. And granted, you could tell it's you know, BFI, right? It, It it's definitely got some money behind the restoration of it, but um. Yeah, no, I I agree. Like, I think everything's represented very well as far as the presentation of the film. Okay, so so far, Night of the Demon. Yeah, two for two, <laughs> two for two, two for two. Time for, yeah. time, time for shit. I think to maybe turn around a little Ooh. bit. Um, well, okay, we'll see. So, Treef, give us the lowdown on the special edition. Okay, so packaging. so the special edition um, or the limited edition, if you will, of Night of the Demon, you get a poster which is uh hard kind of heavy stock to be honest with you it's hmm. it's a nice paper stock i don't know you get Ooh, Ooh, this cool. and then I love you that. also get on the flip side the curse, curse of, the, of the, demon. the demon boo um bad title yeah i mean look <laughs> i i usually don't hang this stuff up but this is uh it's a very matte heavy cardstock poster and it's very nice and then 
this booklet that comes with it. It's, uh, I think, 77 pages, goes into the history of the, seven, s- seven, seven. the script of Night of the Demon, um, the censorship of Night of the Demon. It's got a whole bunch of storyboards and drawings. Um, Kat Ellinger, I think, uh, it's got a few sections. Kat Ellinger is the first section out of the gate. Um, what is she not involved with? Yeah, exactly. Literally nothing. I have never <laughs> seen a person get that money better in the BT community than Kat Ellinger. But it's a it's a great write up, and she does an excellent job uh, talking about the film in in um, comparison to other films of 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 the genre that lead up to it, like nineteen. Well, not even lead up to it, it, even past it. Like she talks about the devil rides out and she talks about Rosemary's baby. And it, it's a great, uh, all encompassing, like witchcraft sort of how it's represented in film. Yeah. Um, they talk about the original ending. They talk about the demon and it's, it's, it's very educational. Um, so when you're blown away by this movie, again, if you've never watched this movie, I guarantee you, I, I want to say I guarantee you that you will love this movie and will want to read more about it, especially once you find out like, yeah, it was heavily censored when it came over to the U.S. Yeah. So here's the bummer. You guys didn't get the limited. <laughs> the, the standard edition ain't got shit. Yeah, there ain't fucking basically. nothing on this. For the packaging now. No, the packaging is nothing now. Um, and I kind of ding it for that. Not. I mean, this sounds great. I wish that I had that. The problem is that the the limited edition is simply no longer available unless you want to buy it and secondhand expensive. and spend a lot of fucking money. Yeah. Whereas the regular version, I was able to buy online direct from Indicator slash Powerhouse for a regular price. So I was in, and also I have to say I was stupid and thought I already owned this and I didn't. <laughs> so I went on Amazon and found the, the cheapest one prime shipping and it was $35. So... Do the standard editions come with um, reversible artwork? No. no. Okay. No. So yeah, this one nothing. Does too. So, so here's the deal. For me, it's very oh, jealous, deeply jealous. Did come with the soundtrack CD though? No, no, it didn't. What? Yes. No, it didn't. What? That's what it says. What? Right oh, you're right. Oh. Yeah. Huh? I don't have that. Wait. Hold on. Wait, no, no, I have no. I just have two. I have two discs. There's no, I don't have a dope fucking CD. What are you talking about? What the hell are you talking about? There's two discs. There's no CD. I was reading it on the the, the dead and buried packaging. <laughs> you silly fuck. Leave that in. Leave that shit in. Leave it in. Leave it in. No, I do want everyone to know that you are an ingrate. Okay. Okay. So here's the thing. What is, as far as I know, available is the Dead and Buried shit. So Dead and Buried, to their credit, uh, lenticular covers a plenty. There's like like multiple three. Ones. There's three, three different versions. That's wild. So three different lenticular covers available. Does in fact come with the CD. Um, also comes with the booklet. Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like, for me, I give it to Dead and Buried. I like a weird lenticular cover when it works. And I, yeah, I mean, like, I really just, like mine. By virtue of just the packaging, for me, it's dead and buried for sure because of what version I own. Honestly, if I owned the limited of Night of the Demon, I'd be like, it's Night of the Demon, no contest. But you can't get that shit. I do right. kind of feel like that's, I, 
sometimes availability does does play a hand yeah. for me. Yeah. Um. I yeah. If it was if I could just like plunk down some change and easily get a copy of that limited edition Night of the Demon. Well, I would consider. So here's the thing. Maybe it's a better one. Let's say let's say people have the money and can pay extra for it. Is it worth it? From for me. I don't know if it is. Uh, I would no. hope that <laughs> Kat Ellinger has made this write-up available somewhere on the internet, um, I, or maybe it's published in a different magazine. Um, I don't think, unless you were a super fan of this movie, which if you are, you already probably bought this. Yes. Um, I I don't know if it's worth... The extra money because how much did you guys pay for the standard edition? Like, like I said, mine was like thirty five with Prime. I, I think maybe I don't even remember now. It was not I think too from too from Powerhouse it was twenty to twenty five dollars. Yeah, and yeah, I got I got I got nailed on the shipping, and I would yeah, assume it's shipping, yeah, yeah. that it's region free. It is region free, so it is region free, and that's also important. I, I will say that is very nice about Powerhouse in, Indicator. Um, some of their releases are region locked. But even though they are a British company, a decent amount of their releases are region free. So that's a very nice thing. So if you are not region free, which I I would recommend everybody, especially if you're listening to this podcast, be region free. Especially tax return season <laughs> is here. Just get a region free player. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you could get the arrow version of Don't Go in the House, which is pretty much the same. Except for yes. the integral cut, uh, but <laughs> no, it, that that's on that's on it too. Oh, they okay. just don't call it the integral cut. So, yeah, so you could save twenty bucks. Uh, <laughs> just correct you like an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't like even if if somebody was selling the limited edition for sixty dollars, I don't think it's necessarily worth the extra fifteen to twenty dollars. For me, honestly, I would pick it up at that price. Sixty, yeah. But, but it's, it's selling not. for 100 to 150. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's so, real. No, not happening. But that's not also happening. why I did the exacto knife <laughs> thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very smart. I'm a maniac. Yeah. I mean, if only I had a CD player, I feel like the Dead and Buried would really take me to the extra level. Um, but it's nice. It's cool. And uh, I like the lenticular. And I like that there, yeah, there's like a booklet in here. And yeah. The whole, the whole shebang. It's, it's fine. Do you want to talk about the, the extras? I feel like this is another. I, this is a tough one for I me. I think for extras, there's I don't a think it's lot tough on at all. Both. Extras is oh, Night really? of the Demon. Yeah, I don't think it's tough at all. Really? I think it's Night of the Demon bar none, yeah. yeah. Okay. I want to hear the, the argument. The fact that you get four different versions of the movie, and two two of those versions different. Um, I think that's the important part. You So you get two different aspect ratios of each cut of the film. But you also, I think where this one's a little more important is because when you watch the U.S. cut of this film, you can see how drastically different it is and maybe, dare I say, a little less potent than the U.K. one. Absolutely. From from what I can see from the cuts, absolutely. The U.S. one kind of feels more like your kind of schlocky, you know, genre fair that you would see in the fifties yeah. versus the UK. It has all that, but like, like what Diggum said earlier with that scene with the family, um, I think that kind of elevates it above sh- schlock. 
And there's a couple it's of a little other more different, transgressive. Yeah, there's a couple of different scenes too. Um, with all that said, though, the UK cut, even Jacques Tourneau, wasn't a huge fan of showing the demon. He he thought that was kind of cheesy. He was like, I wanted you to see a glimpse of it. I didn't want you to see all of that. Um, but it's so sick. <laughs> it, it, but it is. And like that's the cool thing. Like When that demon appears for, for the first time, I love the cloud effect that it comes from. I love yeah. the fact that the demon's like fucking on fire. And it's it's a simple matte combination of like, hey, we're going to shoot this on a completely black screen and then superimpose it on this. There's a lot of um, kind of technical wizardry that's kind of done. And Jacques Tourneau is kind of known for that, much like Mario Bava is known for his color schemes and and some of his technical in-camera effects, Jacques Tourneau was very popular with that movement of like, hey, I'm going to kind of elevate this above and really make this more art. Um, Because I think that's the thing, like between the two films, Night Demon, Curse of the Demon, whatever you want to call it, is more of a piece of art. Like I could literally, some of those night shots I could take a still of and be like, yeah, that's cool as a background. Yeah. I dig it. Uh, but I'm going to say this since we're talking, since we're talking about the, the demon aspect yeah. of it, because it's a big part of the special features, right? That's them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Discussing the, the, the arguments over whether or not it should have been there. I have the solution to this and it's really, I don't know why it, it doesn't seem obvious to anybody else. You just split the difference. My problem is not with the showing of the demon period. My problem was with showing the demon at the start. Okay, I get what you're saying. If you take yeah. it out, because you see the whole ass demon in like the first like five to ten minutes. Full frontal demon. Full frontal. Full frontal demon. <laughs> you fucking see that like the horns, all three, yeah. um, the two head horns, and then that other one. <laughs> oh, we got um, it. Not in, no, not, not in the movie. Yeah, I just, I'm talking about the demon. Only dick. in the UK cut. There you go. Only in the UK. And he's not actually cut in the UK edition, oh, really? but in the American edition, he is cut. Anyway, <laughs> this is terrible and the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> I truly do believe that if they just took him out of the beginning of the movie and you just see the cloud, yeah. right? And then you see the cloud again later on when, when Dana is running from it. I it's think like, oh, it's coming. it would have been more potent, but I like that. What's great about that is that it sort of leaves the question open until the very end, which because literally there is that that scene where he's gone to the police and um, and John Holden is basically like, I let this shit get away from me. And for all I know, he used reverse psychology to get me to go around to the back part of the building so that I would see this effect that he created because he's a magician, right? He maybe set this thing up for me. And when he says that, had I not seen the demon at the very beginning of the movie, I could have said, maybe that's true. Maybe he really is in fact that good and is faking super well, it's possible. So then to see it at the very last moment, yes, the demon is real. To me, the payoff is so much bigger if they do it like that, because then it's like it removes all doubt at the absolute 11th hour where you see it. And then at that point, like, you know that it's real, but all anybody has seen is the train. And they're just like, oh, 
I bet you must have gotten hit by a train. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I love that. I think that that's the way to do it. Um, but it's interesting. I do like that they talk about that. But what I noticed that in a lot of the special features is them talking about that. It comes up a it lot. Does. It's yeah. the big thing it's about a, it. It's a point of contention for everybody that was in the movie or involved in the film, at least, you know, it's which is interesting. I have to say, I really like some of the special features on Dead and Buried. Um, I really, so they, when they were filming the movie, they had like a super eight camera and they let people just film on a day. And apparently they shot like 55 hours of stuff, which they wheeled down to half an hour, (laughs) which lets you know what the quality is of this, this, this historical document, not good, but they put out the half hour that they had. It was like 30, 35 minutes and they talk all the way through. And it's really like, I love it. It's really cool to see these particular filmmakers, not the greatest of all time, but ones that I know, in an era of horror that I absolutely adore, like this early 1980s era of horror is Mm -hmm. so good. And it's cool to see what they're doing. It's cool to hear them talk about like them, what they remember when they see those images come up. So I really like that. And I really like, um, weirdly, my favorite is when they talked to the novelization author, um, Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough, really yeah. good. Cause she basically just has this long conversation about arguments that she had with people. Cause they'd say, well, this is, <laughs> this is, this scene has got like great imagery and you didn't include any of the imagery. And she was like, it's a book. It's yeah. print. <laughs> it's a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, bro. What? <laughs> So it was cool. To, and like just to have her sit down and sort of teach a master's class in a couple of minutes, like how do you actually adapt? Because this book apparently sold very well. This book adaptation of Dan Barry was very successful. And she's a, a pretty solid author all around. She's got a huge, huge background. And I think when they did the interview, she said that her goal was to write 100 books before she died. And she's three away. I was like, holy shit. (laughs) Wow. That's dope as fuck. So I just love listening to her talk about that stuff. And it was kind of cool just in general that there's a lot of that going on. It really kind of put me in the time and the place of the movie. And I love that. Like, that's a really great thing. And that's, I mean, I think ultimately I agree that having so many cuts of Night slash Curse of the Demon on its face kind of makes the extras more substantive but i love this eight millimeter thing yeah i just love that as a special feature because it's just it is a historical document that truly puts you back and makes you feel like you were there i think that of everything that i have seen that's not a different cut of a movie that's my favorite single thing that i've looked at of everything that's on all of these well, it has four commentaries. Then yeah. It should be noted. Four commentaries. That's a lot. Wild. Right. Oh, but only right. one of them is new. Only one of them is new. Um, yeah, correct. correct. But Night of the Demon also has like almost six hours of special features. That's it's that's what I was going to say. There's a lot of stuff there's on here. There's a ton. Like, because like, there's like a... There's like a Super 8 presentation of the film that's like seven minutes long. There are multiple... Um, readings of the short story, one from the 40s, one from the 80s. There's a um, an interview with Dana Andrews mm-hmm. from the 70s that is on here. I love the radio adaptation. 
of it. Oh, it's phenomenal. The um the 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 thing that I that I really liked was the Cloven and Two feature that was on here. Oh, great! Which is just just the 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 cut comparisons between the movies because it makes it to where you know you don't gotta watch it four times, even though it's a great movie. But I just don't want to watch four different cuts of it. Um, and it just basically pointing out the differences between the cuts, and it's just you know indicator for the few releases of those I have they're right. loaded with extras loaded with so many things and and this stuff where it's like i you know it's literally from 1947 one of the radio drama versions of this and that's that's a phenomenal thing to have on here you know it's there's just so, so many different um ways you you can approach these extras and i just think that for me when you're looking at the at these extras I just think it's Night of the Demons. <laughs> Night of the Demon, hands down. That was a different movie. <laughs> different movie that I prefer, but... Whoa, you know. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Night of the Demons over Night of the Demon? Oh, absolutely. Whew. That, that movie. You know, depends what kind of mood, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's, mean, if- it's not even my favorite movie named Night of the Demon. That's just wow. 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 <laughs> Night of the Demons is just one of the most basic horror movies of all time. Like, oh, come on. Cool. Good it's for you. You've heard of it. horror movies. <laughs> it's got an egg quickly in it. Come Let on. me tell you something. I, my most controversial statement that I'm going to make on this episode of the podcast, just stick around because they will get worse. I prefer Night of the Demons too. Ooh. Wow. Which doesn't have Linnea Quigley in it. And I'll tell you why. The, first of all, it's very fucking it's funny. Great. It is I like the nun in that movie is yeah. hilarious. But also, there's a crazy scene. Like you remember, like in the first movie, Linnea Quigley like puts puts some lipstick in the titty. Yeah. She she very do do weird. That. In the in the in the sequel, the the lipstick just full on fucks somebody. Yes. And I watched that scene, and maybe I shouldn't admit this, but I was like, I want to get fucked by that lipstick. That seemed fun. <laughs> <laughs> so big positive in the, in the category of things I like about it's, movies. It's, it's, Getting fucked by lipstick. It's a thing I think about apparently more than once. Which neither of these films have. Yeah, fuck them. There's a movie called Night of the Demon that um, is a classy 1950s affair. And this movie called Night of the Demon where Bigfoot rips a guy's dick off. <laughs> and I, I would just let you wonder which one I prefer to the other one. We're all, we're, we're all kind of telling on ourselves, I feel, in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay tuned for more of that nonsense. Anyway, all right. So on the whole, it feels like to wrap up, of the two complete packages, we're all coming down on Night of the Demon. Yes? I think so, yeah. I, for I think- me, it's Night of the Demon, yeah. Yeah. If you're only buying one of these, we're going to say Night of the Demon's the one to pick. I think it has the rewatchability. Absolutely. And it has the thing where I'm like, I would love to sit somebody down and and be like, let's watch this factor to it. Look, anytime you have multiple versions of a movie, it just means more replayability. But also, these special features, I, I think even though, yes... They do kind of overlap, and I don't want to say get repetitive, but they do echo the same remarks across some of them. The The radio adaptation is really cool. Um, the Devil in the Music I really like. Um, 
the other thing that I really, I really want to pick up the book from the guy who did the um, Jack Tourneau, The Cinema Nightfall. His interview, which is runs about 27 minutes, is just kind of fascinating. Because I only know this director mainly through Val Luton stuff and then this movie. That's it. Um, I'm just more interested to maybe dig into more of his stuff. There's a lot of Tourneau films that I think have decent releases, but some of the Val Luton stuff was not really, it it didn't get a great release. I think Warner Brothers put out like a, um, like a box set that had some of his, uh, some of his films. But anyway, it, I think the the biggest takeaway about this is like you might walk away with a director getting on your radar and saying, "Oh shit, I need to watch more of that stuff." I also feel yeah. like if you've more been if you've been watching the Severin Fokar box set, this thing just mm-hmm. slides right in, right? Like, yeah, I was gonna say, totally. is Night yeah. of the Demon Fokar? Uh, I mean, look, <laughs> there are witches involved, and I think that like it adjacent. is adjacent enough that like. Having watched a lot of that, there's stuff on that Fokara box set that if that's allowed in there, I yeah. definitely for sure <laughs> think that you could put Night of the Demon in there, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the other Turneau film I'm thinking of is uh, I Walked With a Zombie, and I don't think that has a Blu-ray release, but Cat People definitely, I, I think that got released by Criterion. So that would probably be, that's probably gonna be the next film i'm gonna watch just because i'm i i need to rewatch some of these movies yeah but anyway but uh yeah i i personally think that uh there is more to be found in the extras not to take away from that super eight thing from dead and buried i think yeah. that's a very interesting artifact but i will also give fault for the Blu-ray not having that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is a brand new extra on the 4K. All right, so here we are. We have made it to the end. We know which one we prefer. And now it's time to talk about what the next episode's going to be. Next episode is going to be the Daphne Zuniga double feature of Arrow versus Synapse. And of course, with Arrow, we're talking about the initiation and another college movie from Synapse called The Dorm That Drip Blood. This is a relatively early release. This release is, I think, 11 years old now uh, versus Arrow. They put this out, I want to say 2016. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Six six years ago. So yeah, five years difference between them. Uh, we'll see who stacks up with what. And uh, I will tell you that The Dorm That Drip Blood very interesting point that we talked about earlier. This is coming from the only existing 35 millimeter answer print. Wow. So you want to talk about any positives? I will I from what I remember, this is not a pretty looking film. Very, <laughs> uh, very grainy. I want to say it was shot on maybe 16, but we'll go back to school. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> God, it was awful. You should be ashamed of yourself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's getting edited out. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna keep it in. No, keep that shit in. <laughs> go, to, go to college with Daphne Zunica uh, with these two films. All right, 
we have no comments from listeners, no poll. Announce what the next episode is. Okay. Sign off time. Cool. All right. So hopefully you guys enjoyed what is technically our first battle of the boutiques. And hopefully the clear winner, Naya Demon, will enter into your collection, whether it be limited or standard edition. You can find me on the internet at Treefy, T-R-I-E-F-Y, on Twitter and Instagram, and Letterboxd as well. I'm on uh, all those things as Alina is you. I'm on uh, Instagram, uh, Digum13, Twitter, same thing. Um, Letterboxd, Digum. Um, So my band, Lightweight, has a new single out right now. Check it out on all the different things. It'll be on in my Instagram bio, Digum13, all that stuff. I'm sure it'll be on some website. There'll be a new new music video up for our new single for our new EP called Whiskey Is Not A Jacket. Which we use for the opening of this podcast. That'll be out um, now. So go check it out and go pre-save our EP. 